Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. An unassuming suburban home helps reveal the history of abolition in Illinois. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. On the corner of Parkside and Grace in West Suburban Lombard, you'll find a row of conventional 20th century homes. But one house looks much older than the rest, a clue to its historical importance. The house was built in 1839 and belonged to the Pecks. They were a family of artists and abolitionists who offered their home as a stop on the Underground Railroad. Here to tell us more about it is our architecture sleuth, Dennis Rodkin. He joins us now for the latest in our series, What's That Building?, Dennis, on the outside, how does the Peck homestead stand out from the rest of the houses nearby? Well, the others have lawns and real 20th century looks. This one has wildflowers, tall trees, and it, it, it looks like a home from the, 18, from the 19th century, from the 1830s. It's got a long sheltered porch, low roof. It, looks, it really looks as if it came long before the others. Um, it's been restored uh, so it doesn't look like a tumble-down shack, but, yeah. it, but it definitely looks like a more modest approach to housing. And something tells me that sign out front that says the house was built in 1839 is a dead giveaway. That might tell people, yeah, <laughs> if, they're, if they slow down as they drive by. But what right. it doesn't say, it says built in 1839, but what it doesn't say is some really vibrant history happened here. Yeah. Well, how much of the original home still stands today? When you look at it, you're looking at uh, about two-thirds of the original house is still there, but what you're looking at is a version of the original house. They had to rebuild in about in the late 90s. They rebuilt the western end, about the western Mm -hmm. one-third. This was during a restoration that took off latter-day siding and tried to take it back to the 1830s. But what you're looking at apparently is essentially what people would have seen in the 1830s, 40s, 50s. All right. Take us inside. What do we see? Well, there you also see some pieces from the from the origin, the ceiling beams, the wood beams on the ceiling. Uh, a lot of the interior has been is a recreation of what it would have looked like because it was used as a home from 1839 until the 1990s. So a lot of updates happened. Those were all removed. So what it feels like, uh, let's ignore for the moment the fact that it's done up as a museum, but mm-hmm. just the space itself, it feels as if you've gone into an older house with wood floors, wood-beamed ceilings, uh, not as many windows as we would have today, though there are windows. And then there are exhibits of the Peck's art, uh, the history of not only this building, but Lombard and all sorts of other artifacts that make it, I mean, it's a really interesting small museum. Yeah. Well, as we mentioned, the house belonged to this Peck family. Tell us more about them and how their passion for art and for abolitionism kind of intertwined. Uh, This story, I find this story fascinating. So Sheldon and Harriet Peck come first from Vermont, then from upstate New York to Chicago in 1836. Chicago at the time is a town of 3,820 people, so it's a pretty small place. But just a year later, they had 22 miles west to what was called Babcock's Grove, Mm -hmm. now Lombard. They got 80 acres, later added another 80, 160 acres. And supposedly, it took them two years to build the house. And supposedly, in the interim, they were living in sort of a, a shack that they had built and a covered wagon. That's that's the story, at least. But oh, in right. 1839, they finished the house. Uh, uh, Sheldon Peck is a portrait painter, a folk artist, 
And by the time they got to Chicago, he had already done a few dozen commissions. He's here and he's traveling around doing portrait commissions in a way, tra- traveling around by wagon doing portrait commissions. And what Alison Costanza, the uh, director of the museum, says is that seems like a perfect job for shepherding people back to your home because you've got this wagon. You're going out all over the state. You're going to spend a little time there. Many of his portraits, there's one in particular, a poster version of it or a print version of it in the building uh, is a family of known abolitionists in Aurora. So who's to say they don't know that he did, but who's to say that he didn't go out, paint their portrait and bring a freedom seeker back with him on Mm. that person's way to So that's the particular painting that's caught the attention of all these historians and researchers. That's one of them. The one that really just that I think you can stand before and just travel back in time is a painting actually not done by Sheldon Peck, but by his daughter, Susan. Uh, It's a picture of her sister, Abigail, 13-year-old Abigail. The Pecks are white. So Abigail is a 13-year-old white girl with in 1856 with her arm around and on the shoulder of a man named Old Charlie. He's black. Um, And it's called, the the portrait is called Old Charlie. And Charlie is playing a stringed instrument. Mm -hmm. They're obviously enjoying time together. So once again, it's 1856. And it's a and you've got a teenage white girl with her arm around an older black man. Kind of hard to believe. Yeah. yeah. And so that to me is where you see and, and we'll talk a little bit more about old Charlie. But this says these people weren't just saying, yeah, you know, if you're passing through, you can sleep in the barn, which obviously I'm minimizing. Clearly, anybody operating an Underground Railroad site was breaking the law. It was pretty audacious. But more than saying sleep in our barn on your way, we'll bring you some food. They actually had Charlie, according to diaries that the uh, Historical Society has found, they had Charlie. Charlie's living with them, and they're so comfortable with him that they're making music with him, painting a portrait of him with their daughter and sister. Mm -hmm. Um, This, to me, is just fascinating. It's 1856. Uh, At the time, the Fugitive Slave Law was in place, and so anybody who, anybody, even in a free state like Illinois— who found a fugitive from slavery was supposed to return the person. Instead, these people are, oh, and they also, uh, Charlie apparently learned uh, to read in the classroom, in the home, along with the Peck children. Mm-hmm. This is this is not what you think of. So they're, they're, they're just hanging out. Yeah, they're living it out. They're, they're bonding. They, they're, we know they're breaking the law. They know they're breaking the law. And as Alison Costanzo said, they, you know, they knew they were breaking the law, but they didn't believe in that law. But they're going beyond that to saying, here's how people can live together. They're, they're documenting it, too. How much more information do we get from uh, the family journals? Actually, quite a bit. There, there's one big gap, which we'll talk about. But um, there's this is why they know that old Charlie is not just a person who posed for a portrait, but somebody who lived in, in the Peck household. Because another son, Frank, wrote a lot of journals and he described he he talked a lot about the the uh, freedom seekers who passed through and in particular talked about old Charlie. And there's a great line where he said he says that Charlie stayed with my parents till the war for freedom commenced. And he was one of the first to enlist to help free his race from bondage. So he's living in the household and then goes off to fight in the Civil War. The research that the Historical Society has done has found several men who might have been Charlie. They don't know which one. Um, there are several black men named Charlie who fought from Illinois, fought in the Civil War. So they don't know exactly who it is, but they do have a very – I mean, there's enough documentation here to know that this actually was a person, not a fictitious character. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and I, I just think and so his story is told there and the Peck story is told there. But to me, the larger story is look what these people were doing in the 1850s. Yeah. So in your research, you also found that the house was used for other purposes. Like what? Yes. Uh, well, it's interesting. The Historical Society sort of talks about all this. Um, and and a lot of people know that this was sort of this base of progressivism in Lombard because the Pecks were not only abolitionists and they were serious abolitionists. They uh, Sheldon uh, distributed the newspaper, The Western Citizen, which was based here. But they also held temperance picnics. I mentioned that they had a schoolhouse. They had the first school in Lombard. And again, Charlie learned to read there. So did other kids living. Uh, he was an adult. So did children living in Lombard. Uh, so they had all sorts of things going on that, to me, sort of fit into the the history of Lombard in an interesting way, because the first – this is not related to this house, but the first woman who ever voted in a municipal – in an election in Illinois also lived in Lombard. So oh you gosh. sort of – you may think Lombard is just this piece of the suburbs – undifferentiated from others, but it has some really vibrant history in those two. In So temperance, abolitionism, yeah. women's suffrage. So I want to know about that transition. The, the Peck Homestead, it's now owned by that historical society, right. as you mentioned. How long did the house stay in the hands of the Peck family? When did it become, uh, when did the historical society buy it? This alone is worthy of note. The family built the house in 1839, and they held on to it till 1996. I don't know many families that have done that. 1996, okay. Yeah, 1996, a subsequent generation of the Pecks um, sold it to the Park District with the understanding that it would be restored. And and so that's 1996. Four years later, Lombard, the Lombard Historical Society reopened it as a museum with a lot of this rebuilding that had been done that I mentioned where they had to rebuild the Western Third. They also had to build a new foundation underneath because mm-hmm. it was built in 1839 by different methods than we would build it today. And it's been operating as a museum since then. So a lot of people, school kids and others have passed through, but it's not as well known as it might be. So we can do tours. Yes, they're yeah. open, and they also have a Juneteenth celebration coming up. Cool. Um, you can go in. You you can go to the celebration. You can go inside the house. You can see this painting of Old Charlie, which again I think is is just a real fascination. That is awesome. Um, where else can people see art from the Peck family? Um, Sheldon Peck's art is in the Art Institute. It's not. I don't think it's on display now. And by the way, another member, another son of Sheldon Peck, Charles. Mm-hmm. We talked about Frank, who had the. Um, the journals. Charles Peck was one of the founders of what became the Art Institute. He was in 1860, one of 1866, one of the founders of the Chicago Academy of Design. And then there is some Sheldon Peck work there. Uh, Yale has some of his work in his in its collection. He apparently was for his day a very prominent folk portrait painter. And um, some of his paintings have sold for a few hundred thousand dollars in recent years. Well, while I have you, the National Park Service certified the house as an underground railroad location back in 2011. Um, It's not the only verified site in the Chicago area, right? What's going on with the Wheaton stop? So we did a segment here on Wheaton, which is fascinating. Wheaton College was founded by abolitionists. There's a whole set of streets named for abolitionists. And essentially the tower of the main building is... Uh, or the the main building, which has a big tower, is where um, several people wrote about freedom seekers being housed over the course of time. And they were we taught we used the term audacious when we did that segment because everybody in town knew, yeah, this is what we're doing, but nobody nobody seemed to yeah. get in the way. 
You also have, there's one in Hinsdale, there's one in Naperville. These are all documented at different levels. There's a great one in Princeton, which of course is not in the Chicago area, but about an hour and a half, uh, two hours out. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all sort of, it, it, it's just sort of fascinating to think that all of these are kind of, were in a literal sense, hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Well, you know, what building are you going to look into next? Uh, a couple of listeners have sent in suggestions, and I'm that's digging right. into those. Oh, that's great. I love love when that happens. Uh, Crane Chicago Business Residential Real Estate Reporter Dennis Rodkin. Always fascinating stuff. Thanks, Thanks. Sasha. This episode of Reset was produced by Stephanie Kim, and it was edited by Ethan Schwab. Do you have a building that you've always wanted to know the story behind? Well, leave us a voicemail at 888-915-9945, and we may just put our architectural gumshoe on the case. That'll do it for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.